I mean, City were determined to hang, hand out, hang, hang out. Hang on. <laughs> Is that the right word? Let's hang out, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's the what am I trying hang to say? Hang on, hang, hang on for there the right after, yeah. <laughs> this is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on bluemoonpodcast.com. It's your club, and this is your show. A strong performance at Arsenal followed by Carabao Cup progress at Oxford has left this week feeling rather good. Who could have predicted that Phil Foden might have been able to fill the Phil Foden-shaped hole in City's team? Whatever it is, Pep Guardiola's side have certainly looked a lot more like their old selves recently anyway. On this week's Blue Moon podcast, we'll be analysing what's changed in the last two matches, plus we'll be looking ahead to the coming games with Leicester and Wolves. Is the title race still on, or is Saturday's match the beginning of the race for second place? All the answers to that coming up. As we record this, it's ten years to the day that Roberto Mancini took at Eastland, so we'll be taking a special look at what he did to change the mentality at City. And it's our last show before Christmas, so we have a festive look at how Guardiola's team have performed in the holiday season in previous years. I'm David Mooney, and with me in the studio this week is Goal.com's Jonathan Smith. Hello. And One Football's Dan Burke. Hello, David. Merry Christmas. To Merry you. Christmas to one and all. Um, so, Arsenal and, and Oxford, uh, two, I think, fairly decent uh, performances, John. Um, Phil Foden, I, I mentioned him in the, in the introduction there. Um, we've been calling for more game time. How's he done now he's, now he's had it? I thought he was brilliant. Um, I thought he was brilliant against Arsenal. Very mature performance uh, on the back of uh, a really impressive display in Zagreb when I thought he was you know, the best player on the pitch. Um, and it was, wasn't easy against Arsenal. He, 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 he didn't see a lot of the ball for the first half an hour, but I think when he switched to the, to the right-hand side, he really came, came into it and... You know, just the sad thing was that he only got ten minutes to take half. I think I thought he could have kept on going. Now that he was, him and De Bruyne were really starting to sort of work on something. And then um, obviously Pep wasn't happy that they weren't. It was it was more of a counter-attacking performance. It was a bit un-City-like from that perspective. And I don't think Pep was too happy about that. He wanted that more of the control, dominating the ball, dominating territory, and that's what they did in the second half. And um, and, and and Foden sort of paid the price. He was the one who dropped out. Well, Danny, is it a coincidence that, especially at Arsenal, you know, with Foden in the team, City seem to have a lot more drive than they've had in recent weeks? No, I don't think it is at all. I mean, he's he's so good at uh, sort of playing on the front foot, isn't he? And uh, the way he sort of draws people in and flicks it past them and, and runs onto it, uh, I think is is a joy to watch all the time. And um, I thought, uh, yeah, it was it was a really mature performance from him like John said I, I don't uh, really, really understand why he was brought off so early it was quite disappointing for me that um, I know he's probably saving him for midweek but I think he's uh, midweek know. against Oxford in the Carabao exactly like, it's, this know. is Arsenal at the Emirates and you're running the game yeah you know? he's, he's 18 as well he can play two games in a, in a week surely he's played, yeah. he played two games in a night <laughs> exactly yeah 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 he was probably playing in the streets of Stockport when he got back <laughs> Maybe that's what saving him for. Yeah, yeah, yeah Power League stop on uh, in the evening, wasn't he? Yeah, um, like Guardiola was pleased with him. He said afterwards he was pleased, but he also said that City were better after after Foden had gone off. Do you think that's fair? Mm, I don't know, really. What was it? Was it three nil when we, when he went off? It was three nil at half time, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. So I mean, the game was sort of won, wasn't it? Really, they were they were just coasting from f- throughout the second half. Really, I didn't really see an upturning performance personally. Um, 
No, I think that was a bit of a But bit is, of a strange is, is that maybe Guardiola keeping him on his toes, keeping his feet maybe. on the ground? I, I don't know. He's just, really. he's just played really well at Arsenal. Arsenal are not as, as much as a comedy club as they can be at times. They're not the worst team in yeah. the league. Yeah, does he need his feet keeping on the ground, though? He seems pretty level-headed, sort of humble lad, doesn't he, Foden? I don't really think he's going to get that kind of superstar big-headedness, really. I don't know. John, have you, have you ever spoken to him after games? Yeah, yeah, up? yeah. What's he like? Um... He's he's um, got his feet on the ground. <laughs> yeah, he is. Yeah, he's. I mean, he you know he he goes goes and does his fishing and stuff like that. He's he's not a he's not a big time at all. He's he loves absolutely loves football. I think that's that's a, that's the thing. And I, I I do wonder whether Pep is just holding him back, holding him back, and at some point he's just gonna you know he's just gonna be part of the. He's gonna start every game because it's getting to that point now, isn't it? Where you know who's who's better than him in that position at the moment. It, I, De Bruyne was obviously amazing against Arsenal, but he's, he he probably gets in ahead of, of David at the moment. Ahead of, ahead of Silva, I was going to say David Silva. Probably, probably at the moment, um, and, and maybe he's got a bit more of that forward drive than Gundogan. Um, obviously, Pep Pep knows a little bit more about football <laughs> than me, but I think I you know I'd go. He would be in my strongest eleven right now. I wonder yeah. how much of the thing with with the way he sort of used Foden over the the years and and the way he's sort of bringing him off early in games is a bit like it's easy to kind of bring off the young kid, isn't it? You don't have to disappoint a seasoned professional like David Silva. I mean, David Silva gets brought off a lot because he's knackered most of the time, doesn't he? But, <laughs> you know, someone like I think it is like probably in Guardiola's mind, it is he's the, the easy fall guy a lot of the time because he's yeah. the young the young gun. Yeah, well, I wonder, but I mean. Equally, three assists in three games for City this week for Foden. Um, the numbers, it was four assists in his City career before that. Hmm. So, like, th- this week, it could be a pivotal week for, for Foden, this. Yeah, I hope so, yeah. I mean, I, I would definitely think he's a better option than David Silver at the moment, but David Silver is the club captain, so he's going to play a lot of games, isn't he, still, when he when he's fit again. Um, I would like to think that there will be more of a sort of transition as the season goes on, and Foden will start playing more and more games, starting more and more games, and then next season it's going to be his position to lose, basically. It wouldn't surprise me if they signed someone else to replace David Silva. I always worry, though. Yeah, so. I always worry about that next season thing because yeah. a, because you say next season, next season, next season. Suddenly he's twenty six. That's mm. kind of like the, 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 the Danny Welbeck sort of. Thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, Jesse Lingard. Jesse Lingard. Yeah. 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 Suddenly he's, he's nearly re- retirement. I'm thinking he's still a youngster. What's yeah. like? How's it? How's it happened? But again, I think I kind of think you're right. I do think there is. I think the second half of this season could be crucial for him in in mm. in what City do next season, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, we don't know who the manager's going to be next season, do we? There's a bit of doubt about that as well. So, yeah, surely you would think so. Yeah, who knows really? But uh, yeah, it's, it'll be interesting to see how it develops the rest of the season. I think. You know, I still I still think if he can get in a few games, I still think he's got a shout of getting into the England oh, yeah. squad for, for the Euros because I think he's he's exactly what England need. That sort of he's got he's got the drive but he's also got a vision he can pick a pass you know that that pass into De Bruyne was pretty simple but it was very effective against Arsenal and I don't, there's not too many English players that can do that sort of thing yeah um, you mentioned De Bruyne um, if this if this if the weeks previous to this were an underpar Kevin De Bruyne uh, this week is has, has certainly changed things for him yeah I mean it was just a sensational performance against Arsenal and it's I'd like to see him do a bit more of this. It was he, he's so good at, at playing on the on the on the counter attack, playing at pace. I think there was there's a moment in the second half where he was stranded out wide, and there was a pass on to Jesus wasn't on, but he was at full full pelt, and he saw someone who was like at ninety degrees to him and, and picked out that pass. I don't think there's anyone else 
in the world who can do that. And and he can do it at pace as well. And I think that's when he's at his most dangerous. We've saw, so, seen it a few times at... I'm trying to think of some examples, but just where he, he just changes defence into attack so quickly, either by running with the ball... Or switching the play. Switching the... Or, or, or doing both. Drawing a player and then making a brilliant pass. And He's it's so good at that. And it's left foot, right foot as well, Dan. I mean, you, you look at those finishes, you would not have known that he's right-footed. No, yeah. I mean, yeah. he might not be. As far as I can tell, he might not be right-footed. <laughs> he might just be both-footed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and and it was, I was a bit disappointed he didn't get a hat-trick as well for that one that Leno made a great save on in the first half. He could have had a first-half hat-trick of absolute perlers, couldn't he? Yeah, which is quite unfortunate. But yeah, there's no finer sight than De Bruyne when he does that sort of transition in the midfield, when he lets it run across his body, and then all of a sudden you're on the attack and you've got him bursting forward yeah. I think it's his posture though because it, it, it always looks like he can't run and I think yeah. it's because he's quite round shouldered yeah he's got lovely technique as well De Bruyne I love his crossing I think it's been quite a disappointing season considering how it started for him like he started like a runaway train didn't he he got so many assists in the first um, part of the season and then I think he sort of got dropped back into a sort of deeper midfield position and I don't think it suits him quite as well. And I also I also wonder how much it was the fact that he'd missed an entire season the year before, and obviously mm. he'd come back raring to go. And then, then like a month after that, you kind of you he almost hit the wall a little bit, and yeah. then needed to that that little pick me up to get going again. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, that that's an interesting theory actually. Yeah, um, but I think a lot of it the, the, his performance against Arsenal was the fact that he was playing a lot further forward than he has been recently. I mean, the first goal he's inside the penalty area. How often do you actually see him inside the penalty area? It's rare, isn't it? And he's getting in in there and. Um, you know, the second goal was uh, a shot from outside the area again. So, hopefully, Pep will uh, take that as a sign that he needs to be a bit nearer the box. His first brace since? Do you know, John? Um, no, should I? Playing for Genk. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's how long it's been That's since he's got a brace. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and weirdly, I'm gonna I'm gonna confess to something now because uh, I, I I saw De Bruyne play for Genk uh, when he was about seventeen, eighteen, and my friend used to absolutely rave about him, and I, and I honestly I said. I don't see it. I don't see it with this kid. <laughs> and, uh, well, who's laughing now, basically, yeah, is, exactly. uh, is what I'm going to say. Well, he was the £50 million Chelsea flop when we signed yeah. him, wasn't he? So, um, so yeah, who's... Um, I mean, what's, what's allowed him to be so good in this game? Is it is it simply the positioning? I think so, yeah. I think there were signs that he was getting back to his best in the, in the sort of games previous to that as well. Even against United, I thought it was one of his better games recently. But I would say that, that positional switch is, is key to it, really, yeah. I think Guardiola has realised that it's sort of time to un- unleash the shackles a little bit. I think he was dropping him a bit deeper to kind of help Rodri out. Um, and it's not really been working, has it? He's been sort of... He, a lot of the sort of crosses from deep that have been pretty useless that we've been doing in recent Quite times have come from De Bruyne. And I think just get him, get him in, in and around the penalty area. I hate it when people say that, but <laughs> I've just said it. So <laughs> We'll go with it, yeah. yeah. Um Speaking of Rodri, very quick mention on that pass that opened up the breakaway for I think it was the second goal um, because that was that, that was a, a, a ridiculous manoeuvre, John. Because it, it, there was an absolutely no way he should have tried putting it through three Arsenal players, but he did and it yeah. worked. Well, I thought it was, it was an interesting setup, wasn't it, with uh, Gundogan and Rodri playing alongside each other, um, and it was slightly it was slightly more defensive perhaps than Guardiola usually goes with, but. I thought that it gave them a little bit more space to go on the attack. It took the pressure off Rodri. You know, he, he sometimes he's been a little bit ponderous on the ball, doesn't get rid of it quickly enough. Gundogan's not quite as defensively minded. So the two of them together, I thought, worked, worked quite well. Um, and then, yeah, like I say, in the second half, he took off Foden and 
brought on. Mares came on, didn't Mahrez he? Mares came on at some point. And it was, it was Bernardo who came on for Foden, was I it? think. Yeah. And, but he went back to a more of a 4-3-3 and they, you know, they controlled the game. But I, I, I thought the, the, the it was almost like a, a, I don't know, a 4-1-1 four, four, one, one or I don't know. Just say some numbers. Just say some numbers, yeah. <laughs> um, We've got to mention Raheem Sterling as well. He got the other goal at Arsenal, uh, plus a brace for himself at Oxford. Uh, he can't seem to avoid scoring goals at the minute, John. Yeah, and they're all they were all quite easy. But I just merchant. yeah, but just I just like the way. He, <laughs> but he gets himself in those positions. He miss. He used to miss those. You know, the one against uh, Wales for England. You know that was that was easier than probably those ones against Oxford, and he he missed that. So yeah, he's. His movement's so intelligent. Um, he can play now as a centre forward, and he can finish. Uh, can't take free kicks. I don't. Think. <laughs> <laughs> well, everything else is pretty good. Yeah. Um, quick piece of trivia for you, Dan. Go on. Um, has he scored? Uh, has he uh, played more games and not scored in them, or played more games and scored in them this season? I'm going to go for the latter. Uh, it is uh, 13 games with goals, 12 without this season. Um, his numbers are ridiculous. He's 18 goals in 25 games. That's a goal every 114 minutes from someone who he's not playing as a centre forward most of the time. Yeah. And I think he's he's low key not been that good recently, Sterling. Actually, I think he's another one who's started the season really well. And I mean, the whole team have been like this. Let's be fair, but I think Sterling has dropped off a little bit recently. I don't. He is an option to play as the sort of centre forward as he did against Oxford, but I don't think it suits him perfectly. Um, but yeah, he keeps delivering the goods, doesn't he? So we're not going to complain. Hopefully he'll get back to that sort of early season level again now because, uh, yeah, we've got a real player on our hands. Just want to touch on the quality of goals that City have scored recently because I, I, I joked after the um, the week where, the, where De Bruyne smashed one in at Newcastle and I can't remember whether the, the next game, there was a couple of, of great goals in that. Um, that City were having their own goal of the month competition. But then you look at the quality of the goals at, at Arsenal. The opening goal, OK, it was a deflection against Oxford, but the way they played through the thirds, it's been a while since City have done that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're a beautiful team to watch, aren't we, most of the time, even when they're not playing particularly well. They still uh, produce a few moments of brilliance along the way. Um, I don't really know what you put it down to. They must be working hard on these things on the training ground and they're all quality players, aren't they? So it's going to come. But yeah, De Bruyne has always got a, a pearl in his locker. Doesn't score them as often as you'd think, actually. Um, so it's nice to see him get a few uh, in in recent weeks. Yeah, John, I mean, in terms of that goal at Oxford, the opening goal... Um, the way they passed it from the back was reminiscent of City in the Centurion season. The way they would they were doing that then. Yeah. It feels like it's not been that that frequent this season. No, they won't get a lot of credit for that. I don't think anyone will talk about it because it was against Oxford. Yeah. But um, but they would they would they they passed it out. You know, short passes under pressure. I think um, was Garcia involved. Howard Bellis was involved. Yeah. So they're not afraid to do that. Um, yeah, it was. It has been a, a while since they've scored a goal like that. And. Again, Foden with that, you know. The, well, Mares, I thought Mares's touch was great. He, he knew it. He, he saw knew, exactly he knew what was going what was going on behind him yeah. to touch it into. Completely yeah. read it, and and Foden made a, a perfect pass. Uh, the finish was a little bit lucky, but yeah, it was it was it was back to the old city. But okay, it was only against Oxford, but that's the sort of thing they need to do just to get that b- bit more confidence up. Speaking of Garcia and Harwood Bellis, how were they doing? I I thought it was a it was a, a tough night for them and I thought they came through it pretty well. Obviously, Howard Bellis got done for the goal. Um, you know that could we we he probably I don't know if it would have been another another centre back. We, we might not have talked about it, but because he's everyone's watching him, he's a young it was lad. Mendy, we yeah. talked about it. Well, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> 
So, so that was probably one you can chalk down to um, inexperience. But other than that, I thought they I thought they coped pretty well. I mean, Oxford did create a lot of chances. Was was Harwood Bellis man of the match? Obviously, Sterling gave the trophy over. No, I don't think so. Um, who was man of the match? I don't know. Um, I would have maybe said Foden sure. again. Yeah. yeah. Ah, well, but, but Sterling gave the trophy over anyway. That's, <laughs> Actually, I thought uh, Cancelo had a decent game as well. He's not he's not found it easy to game, and he got the goal. And I thought he did did okay apart Very from weird that. thing. With yeah, that was, that was a bit. There's some talk of him leaving <laughs> in January. Um, apparently, Valencia want him on loan, it's and not, it's not happening. Bayern Surely. Munich have asked for him on loan apparently as well. I don't understand why he would make that. I mean, he's I, okay. Granted, he's not played that much for City, but well, they need like, to get rid of a foreign player if they want to sign another one, don't they? So maybe they've thought he's one that could be got rid of to make some space in the squad. It's almost an admission of defeat about the summer policy, though, isn't it? Well, yeah, so. it takes a big man to admit when he's wrong, David. <laughs> Which is why you never hear me say that wrong. Um, uh, Claudio Bravo, um, what do you think of him at Oxford, John? Um, he didn't do anything that. Alarming, did he? No, I thought uh, he did quite well. That's why oh, I was okay. asking the question. Always <laughs> <laughs> expecting. Uh, no one says anything positive about Bravo ever. Um, I thought he was okay. Yeah, he made one superb save in particular. I remember when it was sort of going over his head and he flicked it over. If yeah. you remember, um, I thought pretty much everything else he did was pretty routine. Really, they had quite a few chances and probably should have scored. And it was more to do with the finishing than the goalkeeping that they didn't. I think um, I he did all right. He got beat by the first shot, which wasn't really his fault, but it happens a lot, that doesn't it? Like, <laughs> yeah, but like it happens, but there's sometimes he can't help it happening. You know mm, what I mean? There, yeah. there, just because it might be the first shot ten times in a row, the tenth one could be a wonder goal, but it is still the tenth in a row. I know what you mean. Yeah. But like he might have might have been able to stop the eighth or the sixth or whatever. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think he redeemed himself anyway. Yeah, I was, somewhat. I was to say any redemption for him, or is he just too inconsistent at this stage? Now he's, he's in. Is it the last year of his contract? Yeah, he's as well? thirty-six now, isn't he? Yeah, so this will be the end for him. Um, I mean, Sam Lee did a piece in The Athletic today about Aaron Muric, about how it's a shame that he's not around because he'd be playing in this cup run, or you'd, you'd, you'd hope so, wouldn't you, really? Um, maybe they should have moved Bravo on last summer and kept Muric around instead, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't... You know, if we win the Carabao Cup again, he'll probably play right to the final, and that'll be a nice little send-off for him, but I hope he never plays in a more serious game for us ever again. <laughs> um, speaking of the Carabao Cup run, uh, last word on this semi-final draw. So City go to Old Trafford, John. Happy with that? Um, well, at least nobody tweeted out that thing about recent cup draws, which seems to be done every time. You've seen that, you know, the... Anyway, um, yeah, I think, you know, it's whoever it was going to be was, wasn't was going to be easy, was it? And uh, I think... Uh, United, the lowest ranked team left in it. <laughs> it must be. Um, I know because Leicester are through as well. Yeah. Villa, Villa. Oh, it's probably Villa. Villa are close, United, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be. It's going to be good, isn't it? It's going to be. It's a great, a great draw. Two good games. A uh, bit of excitement. Yeah, oh. I, I, I really like the Carabao. I think it's. I think it's better than the FA Cup. I do. Yeah. And Dan, you tweeted uh, after the game. Um, that uh, City will do them over two legs. I didn't tweet that. That was private, David. Oh, was it? I'm <laughs> yeah. sorry. I, I didn't mean to expose you like this. <laughs> but I do think that, yeah. Okay. I do think we've got what it takes to beat them over two legs. Will you tweet that just so that's not inaccurate? No. Or... <laughs> <laughs> 
Now, as you know, we often record the Blue Moon podcast on Thursday evenings, and this week is no exception. That means that as we're recording this, it's 10 years to the day since City appointed Roberto Mancini to be the new manager. I've been looking back at what the Italian did that changed everything at the Etihad. A few weeks ago on the podcast, we looked at City's record-breaking run of Premier League draws in 2009. It was that run of results that led the club to prematurely ending the reign of Mark Hughes. The decision to seriously look at options managerially was taken just three weeks ago. But I think it's important to know, and I'd like to stress, that Roberto was only offered the job after the Spurs game. We negotiated on Thursday, we finalised an agreement on Friday... And he was not in the stadium on Saturday, as was falsely reported. That's former City Chief Executive Gary Cook. He was facing a backlash for the managerial change because the news had leaked before City's 4-3 win over Sunderland, Mark Hughes' final match in charge. That results some City up too. They were leaking goals and dropping points. New boss Roberto Mancini changed that. I want uh, this job uh, in England because... uh, is a is a good experience is a new football and i think that uh, i can do a, a good job and uh, my target always is uh, i want to win ever under the Italian, City seemed to be much more solid defensively in the second half of the season, but they missed out on Champions League football with a 1-0 home loss to Spurs finishing fifth. There was still uncertainty over whether Mancini was the club's long-term option, but that summer City backed him in the transfer market. In came a raft of talents including David Silva, Alexander Kolarov, Mario Balotelli and James Milner. Another to join was Yaya Toure. Now I have come with my experience from from Inari, from Barcelona and from Monaco and I, and I think I've come here for, 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 for making this group great, you know. Mancini was changing the nature of City's squad. It was a weird time. Being a top club was still new to the fans. At that point, their last major honour was in 1976, while their last appearance in a major final had been in 1981. Both were before thousands of supporters had even been born. So fans were just happy to be in the conversation about the best teams in England. Mancini, though, wanted to be better than that, and he had to change the mentality in the dressing room to do it. This is a normal because uh, this uh, not happen only here. I think that uh, happen in every team. But I understand the players uh, because it's a normal that one plays and unhappy if uh, doesn't play. The mentality change was quick. From being also rounds in the years before, City became FA Cup winners in Mancini's first full season, and they qualified for the Champions League with their highest ever Premier League finish too. That success got the fans on side, of course, but Mancini was also a very likeable character. From day one, he wore a City scarf on the touchline, and in interviews and press conferences, he always fought the club's corner with gusto. Vincent Company, who was yet to be appointed captain, spoke about how Mancini had given the team a strong belief. We always had good players at the back and up front in the midfield everywhere, but I think our performances are more the performances of, um, of a team, a strong group. We were all in a situation where it's um, often us against a lot of people. In their FA Cup run, City had to face United in the semi-finals, and they beat them largely down to the belief that Mancini put into the team. I don't think uh, for me. I, I think for all the our supporters that uh, were here, all the our supporters that were in Manchester, and I think that uh, this is uh, for them because they deserve it. 
a day like today. It meant the fans were fully behind the Italian for the next season, though there were still doubts over whether City were ready to take the step up and challenge United for the title. Mancini had his eyes on top spot though. I think that it was important for us to start the season very well, because after Charity Shield it was important. But I think the season will be really long. The shackles were off, and City were producing some of the best football fans had ever seen. Swansea were tonked 4-0 on the opening day, Tottenham were battered 5-1 at White Hart Lane, and Manchester United were embarrassed 6-1 at Old Trafford. After that match, defender Gail Clichy could see how performances had improved. I think the result is more for the fan than for, for us, the player. You know, uh, the three points, you know, 1-0, 2-1 is the same. Uh, but of course, you know, the, the way we played tonight, uh, today was, uh, was really good. It was a good performance from the team. The important thing is to win, and I think today uh, we shown the fans that we were ready, and it wasn't only a few games at the start of the season that we were there and we, we mean business. City had control of the title race for the majority of that season, but they fell eight points behind Manchester United with six games left. Mancini began his mind games publicly insisting that the Premier League race was as good as over. We can't win because uh, they have uh, a big spirit, they have a fantastic team, they have everything. We don't have nothing. They are perfect and we are the opposite. It was in that run-in where he really endeared himself to the fans. As City clawed their way back into it, he went toe-to-toe -to -toe with United and he won, getting under Sir Alex Ferguson's skin in the process. It made the title win in extraordinary circumstances on the final day in 2012 even more special because of who City had stolen it from in the final seconds of the season. Five minutes to the end uh, was not good. The football is inc incredible. Incredible because... Uh, we didn't deserve to lose this game. Fantastic to win uh, this title because we changed uh, the history after 44 years. And this is uh, for all our supporters. Mancini had changed the course of the club. And while it didn't work out for him in his final season, there are very few fans who didn't love the Italian while he was in the dugout and who don't look back on his time at the Etihad very fondly now. The connection was there from start to finish and it made it a tough job for the club to dismiss him after an FA Cup final defeat to Wigan. Mancini's abrasive style caused too many fractures within the club and he wasn't able to inspire the players to continue on that upward trajectory that he began in 2009. They put in the worst showing of an English side in the Champions League group stage, they surrendered their title to United without too much of a fight, and there were regular stories of dressing room bust-ups and off-the-pitch fights. It meant Mancini was sacked a year to the day after winning the title, but the connection with the fans was still always there. Days after his dismissal, he left a thank you message for supporters in the Manchester Evening News, and they responded with a similar message in the Italian newspaper Gazzetta dello Sport. Hi guys, this is Gary Owen, and you listen to the Blue Moon Podcast. Please give us your backing patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast well, up there at uh, 10 years ago Mancini taking charge at City um, just quickly on that where where do you think City would be now Dan if Mancini if it hadn't been Mancini I'm a bit conflicted on this one I will curb it first of all by saying I love Mancini I'm entirely grateful for everything he's done for the club and I will always love him he'll probably always be my favourite ever City manager but I do wonder if it was him or the sort of investment that delivered this success, really, would they have eventually got there with another manager? Not Mark Hughes. They were going nowhere fast with Mark <laughs> Hughes. It was the right decision to sack him, don't get me wrong. But, you know, if they had got a sort of Gus Hiddink or someone like that in, would they have eventually won anyway? I think it was kind of inevitable, wasn't it? So I think they were probably in about the same place, regardless of whether Mancini had come in. 
but like I say, I do love him, so yeah. <laughs> don't get I, me wrong. What did he change at City, John? What What was different between previous administrations? I think he was he just brought in a winning mentality. I think it was that was the key to it. Really, he wasn't afraid of anybody. He wasn't he wasn't afraid to 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 dream about winning trophies when everyone else was a little bit scared of it. And he he wanted, he saw he brought players to win the league. Um, and he delivered that first trophy, delivered the first title, and, and that changed everything. He wasn't. It was weird because I always got the impression that up until he was manager, City, even City fans were happy to be also rans. Were happy to just be in the conversation about the best teams in in England and not actually, you know, deliver on it. Yeah, I mean, Mancini was a winner as a player. He was a winner as a as a manager, and and that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to win. He wasn't there to to win over the fans and to be a, a, a you know a club legend. There's you know there's 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 managers in the past who were a look back on fondly. Um, and, and and rightly so as well. But you know he was he was here to win, uh, and the love came after, on the back of that. His relationship with the fans was was really interesting, Dan, because he he obviously clocked that he needed them on side quickly. Mm-hmm. And it was I always remember like things like the scarf, all the little touches like that, having a having that connection to the fans. City fans were quite quick to get on board with him, certainly after that first half season. In that second season, when it was obvious he was the manager that they were going to have permanently for the next few years, it was like, OK, then let's let's give this guy the backing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the thing with the scarf was something that he'd done at Inter before as well, so he, he obviously knew that that was a, a tried and tested formula. Um, I mean, one of the quickest City fans to get on uh, involved with Mancini was my mum, who didn't really <laughs> like football until we got him and was like, oh, this guy's quite handsome. I'll go and start going to watch Shady now. Now she's like a diehard home and away fan. I love that. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I always think that stuff like that is, why don't more people th- do this? Why isn't why has Guardiola got a bit of distance with the fans? Why can't he be a bit more engaged with them? I guess it's just a personality thing. It's the same with players. Not every player is sort of going over and clapping the fans at full time. Why not? It's easy to get the fans on side, really. But what it did was, in a weird way, when, it, when his sacking came about in 2013, I suppose for most people in the club, it was probably obvious that he had to go. Mm. But then try and sell that to the fans it, it gave Mancini that little kind of it gave him that little bit of negotiation room yeah. because his relationship with the fans was so strong for sure yeah and I think maybe some of the fans might have thought that it was the right decision to sack him in a sort of pragmatic way I might have even been one of them to be honest with you but the um, the advert that you put in the, the Manchester Union News afterwards was you know beautiful and has really cemented his place in our hearts I think that was the, a real a real nice way to go out on and it's a real shame the way he left the club and the way he sort of thought of by the the ownership and stuff that he doesn't get invited back because he would get people throwing themselves on the pitch and yeah. stuff, wouldn't he? Your mum would be first on the exactly, on the field, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, John, I was going to say it, it feels a shame that he's never been back. It is a huge shame. I mean, I thought the the uh, Vincent Company's testimonial would have been a good opportunity for him to to take charge of one of the teams. What well, mind you, I haven't said that. I think Italy Italy were probably playing that day, but it's a shame that he's never been invited back. I, I'm sure it will happen maybe just need to put a, a bit more bit time space. yeah a bit of distance between it but um he'll get an absolutely huge reception it, it must happen sooner or later and it'll be it'll be a great one to be at and of course he was the first city manager i can remember standing up to united and standing up to ferguson yeah that was um an, an iconic moment um yeah you know for uh, for for a long time, obviously Ferguson was in charge for a long time, and during that time, City had about thirty thousand <laughs> managers, and they were all def- deferential to to Ferguson because United won everything, and they had to be treated with respect. And going into that derby, he didn't care about that. 
it, it, it was, you know, uh, um, Fergie had come out with that line about um, not in my lifetime um, and Mancini was wanted it to happen in his lifetime and, and, and made it happen. Not only did it happen in his lifetime, but it happened like within yeah. within a couple of derbies of you know that, that, that it was what was it that City wouldn't go in as favourites uh, for uh, during Ferguson's lifetime, and you, I think I, I think they they must have done that under Mancini, surely. Yeah, I, I, wasn't it on the back of when City played Chelsea, and he said that people were more interested in. City Chelsea game and United versus Liverpool, and he said possibly, oh, yeah, not in my that that won't happen in my lifetime. But we must have been favourites for the company header. One yeah, I thought, yeah, yeah. So anyway, anyway, it's been you know it's it's ten ten years ago. Can you believe it? <laughs> slightly that moment was slightly ruined by Carlos Tevez's uh, gravestone on the on the celebration bus afterwards. <laughs> Did you say ruined? <laughs> Enhanced would be the word I would use. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny how things uh, change from different perspectives. <laughs> anyway, if you'd like to hear more discussion about Roberto Mancini's time at City, then that's the topic for this week's Patreon bonus show. Head over to patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast for more details. You'll be able to hear that by signing up to the $2 a month tier. We do an extra show every week, and you'll get access to all of the back catalogues of bonus shows as soon as you sign up. <laughs> Now it's time to look ahead to the games uh, against Leicester and Wolves for this show. Uh, nice little connection with Leicester as well. Obviously, Mancini, five games there. Uh, never played at City, though, as, oh, uh, right. yeah, as part yeah. of his uh, time at uh, time at Leicester. That's why he's a big friend of Robbie Savage's, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Odd, really odd. Yeah. <laughs> and also, that kit at the time was so bad, even Mancini couldn't make it. <laughs> uh, I don't remember what it was. So, oh, it was um, an awful sort of plasticky... Oh, it was... It didn't fit him. You know. <laughs> anyway, uh, but that it was it was his time at Leicester that apparently was what uh, made him fall in love with the English game and what swung it when City approached. He said, "Yeah, I'll, I'll come and manage City." So uh, we have to, we have Leicester to thank for that. Mm-hmm. Um, what we don't have them to thank for is the fact that they're probably going to be chasing Liverpool down this season if it's going to be one of the two teams. Down. <laughs> no one's going to be chasing Liverpool down. Will, are you are you are you will, done and dusted? Yeah, it's over. Yeah, definitely. I mean, especially after Leicester dropped points again last weekend. They're what they're eleven behind Liverpool, ten behind Liverpool now, aren't they? But the City are four behind Leicester. So even a win on Saturday doesn't take them above. Yeah, them. I don't think Liverpool are messing this up, to be honest, and I don't think Leicester have got the staying power to, to sort of hang on their coattails for if the City, whole if season. Can get, if City can get their act together? Mm, I don't th- I think this Christmas period and, and uh, sort of January is going to be quite crucial because Liverpool have got a very similar. Liverpool play Leicester, Wolves, and Sheffield United, as do City, and then they've got Spurs and United in January, I believe. So they're going to have to drop some points somewhere along the way, and if they're not going to do it this in this At next Christmas, sort of run of games, it. that it's not going to happen. You know, they've been in Qatar this weekend, so that's going to they're going to have a game in hand as well. Um, so yeah, I, I don't see I don't see them messing up to be honest. But if there is going to be any hope, it's going to come in the next month. Yeah, well, I said John at the at the top of the show uh, is is this the battle for second place already, um, or is that is that just for City? Um, no, I think Leicester are, are well in the. I mean, they're playing some of the best football in the Premier League this season. Um, they got a, we, I, there was an in, I was having an interesting discussion with someone about is this Leicester squad better than the one that won the title and. I think there's an argument to say say it is really. Uh, I think the, the, their title-winning squad had two outstanding players in Mares and Kante, um, but I think this is a more all-round better squad. I think they've got, a, you know, that that title-winning team. The fullbacks were 
was it Simpson? Danny and Simpson and uh, Christian, Christian Fuchs. Fuchs yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Wes Morgan Wes and Robert Hooth. Yeah. It's uh, honestly the more I look at that 2015-16 season, it's absolutely criminal that yeah. City finished fourth. Well, yeah, there, <laughs> yeah, is you know, but... there is that, but you know, they, I, I, I think throughout the they're a really well balanced squad. Uh, they've got a great midfield, and yeah, they, they they deserve to be in the top four without a doubt. And if they carry on, they can finish above City. Dan, an informed Jamie Vardy. City's defence held together by sticky tape and, <laughs> and all sorts of, of just gubbins. Are you nervous? Very much so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, he's been superb this season, hasn't he? Uh, he's on a great scoring run. Um, the best striker in England, for sure, if not Europe, in terms of playing on the shoulder with the last man. So I, I, I dread to think what he's going to do to Nicolas Otamendi. He's rubbing he plays. his hands with, with yeah. joy this weekend. Uh, is Stones fit, do we know? Was he fit last week? I, I don't think remember. he was. I don't think yeah. he's going to be. No, so it's going to be Fernandinho Otamendi, centre-backs, isn't it? Which is worrying. Yeah. Otamendi's been okay the last couple of weeks. He seems to have stopped that diving in. You know, that the, going back to the bad old days, he's been mm. those tackles where he flops backwards and whoever it is just skips past him. And you'd think Vardy will do that That's two or three times. Yeah. It's like when you're addicted to cigarettes, though. <laughs> it never truly goes away. <laughs> yeah. Um, in terms of, of like, City's attack, though, on the flip side of the coin, Leicester have the best defence in the Premier League this season. Yeah. Um, it'd be interesting to see what Brendan does, how he how he plays it. Whether they 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 play on the counter attack, and City gonna have to be creative. Um, and there's gonna be a lot of pressure on the, Jesus. Really, he's I think he's was it his last twelve goals have all been all away from home, all away from home, and it's 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 odd. I don't really understand that why that is. I think that lack of supply or or, or what it is or. Just, it's surely just a quirk, though, because City don't play that much differently at home as they do away, and it's like they still create the same number of chances. No, well, and... opponents do try a bit harder when they're at home. You know, whereas the you know the Southamptons and um, uh, well, other sides just sit back. <laughs> I can't think of any other. Um, United. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they were playing on the counter attack. So yeah, um, so, yeah it, it's, it's it's not going to be easy to break through. Is Aguero going to be fit? He's in training again, isn't he? So I don't think he's going to be. No, nope. I don't think he's going to make it. John, we stop coming here with okay. these, these <laughs> doom and gloom news. Come on, David Silva has got a chance. He's uh, Pep said on Tuesday. So that's... I don't care about that. Yeah, yeah, you want Phil Foden to stay yeah. in the team? Yeah. Um, now, because of the way that Christmas falls this year, and because of the Wolves game being moved uh, to the Friday night, next week's show is going to be recorded at full time after that game at Molyneux, and it means that uh, our next show will be on Saturday. So we also need to look ahead to the Wolves game now. Um, in, in terms of, like, Dan, you mentioned the run that City have at Christmas. Following a tough game at Leicester, and then, you know, knowing that the pressure's on to, to, uh, to catch both Leicester and Liverpool, this isn't an easy game either. No, not at all, no. Um, they were really good side Wolves. They've beaten us once already this season. <laughs> uh, we drew there last season. Um, so it's not a game that I'm particularly looking forward to at all. It's a winnable game for City, of course. Um, but I don't I don't feel like there's a lot of pressure on City in the league anymore. I do feel like the league is gone, and I think even the players acknowledge that. I think Sterling said after the Oxford game that they want to just sort of win as much as they can, and they, and they feel like the title is out of reach now. So I don't... That might help them in these games. You know, they're not going there full of nerves. They're just going to go and play their game. And when City play their game, they'll beat anyone in the league. 
So I, I have a bit of hope that they might pick up, uh, you know, maximum points over this this next run of games. Paradox though, because as soon as they pick up maximum points, they're back in it, and then the pressure's back <laughs> on again. So you know, it's, yeah, that's all, true. Come, all comes back yeah. around. Um, I, like Dan mentioned, the game at the Etihad there. Um, what did Wolves do that day that meant City just couldn't play? Because City City had a lot of the ball, just did nothing with it. Well, every time that City have played Wolves in in last couple of seasons, they've been very very well organised. They're well drilled at the back. They know what they're doing. Um, they can play on the counter-attack and at the moment in Traore they've got someone who's very dangerous and someone who's very dangerous to City he's got you know he's he's ridiculously fast Um, and you wonder which left back is going to be put up against him because you fear for whoever it is I don't don't know it didn't work with Cancelo either did it no Mendy, I would have thought, wouldn't it? Mendy's sort of worked his way back into the reckoning in recent weeks I mean Mendy's probably the quickest out of the three um, but you'd still be worried about about that matchup. Um, so, you know, I guess Fernandinho will be on the left hand side. He'll 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 offer as much cover as possible. But um, that you know, that's what they can do. They, they they'll they can restrict chances and move it quickly on the attack. And the, the that's what happened last season at Molyneux. Um I mean, the City was slightly unfortunate. They probably the, the, should have the handball won that. goal. Yeah, I mean, well, they, they should have had a penalty and a couple of other chances. As you well. You look at, at City's record against Wolves, especially under Nuno Espirito Santo. Like, it's one win in four, and that one win came courtesy of the fact that Wolves had a man sent off after half an hour. Yeah. So it's not. It's it doesn't. It, it screams a well-organized team I, that that kind of Guardiola can't seem to break down. Yeah. Well, they won in the Carabao Cup as well. It was on penalties. After, <laughs> and then, after and a Wolves nil-nil is, draw. And Wolves, I Wolves think is, Bravo saved 3-1 on Bravo's greatest yeah. performance, that, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Um, and they were the championship side at the time as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I completely agree there. They, they are difficult to break down. And Ruben Neves, is, you know, he's a really... Exactly the sort of... Well, City were looking at him. Um, he's that sort of defensive midfielder, well-organised, but can move the ball quickly. Scores a few as well. Scores a few. Um uh, Moutinho is, is yeah, they've got they've, they've got quality and they're well organised and that's that's a it's a dangerous matchup though, yeah. isn't it? Um, just looking at, at, at okay, this is for the podcast after this one, but uh, Sheffield United is so soon after that Wolves game, mm-hmm. is that going to play into Guardiola's thinking for the Wolves game? Yes, possibly. I, I was sort of thinking that when I said that Mendy will play because I would expect Mendy to play against Leicester as well. Can Mendy's knee take three take games three, in a week? Yeah, I three don't games think it can. So maybe Mendy won't play against Wolves. Actually, yeah, maybe he will have to shuffle the shuffle the pack a little bit there. Um, you might see like Gundogan playing in the holding midfield against Wolves or something like that because I don't think they're the sort of midfield that kind of press as much that that requires a play like Rodri. So you might see something like that going on. Um, hopefully Aguero can come back and Stones can come back for these games and he'll have uh, a few different options to choose from. Yeah, Garcia and Howard Bellis. I would say that Garcia is ready. Every time I've seen him, I don't think I've seen him put a foot wrong when he's played for the senior team so far. Howard Bellis, I think he's still a little bit raw. I mean, he's behind Garcia in the pecking order for a start. For a start, um, I would say Garcia's Garcia's there, but Guardiola is very, very cautious. Just trying to find ways to get Fernandinho in midfield. That's all. I'm yeah, doing. it's not going to happen, is it? I don't think. I think he's Guardiola's pretty much gone on record and said it's not going to happen. So. 
that seems like an obvious solution to most of our problems that have gone away in the past couple of games, but will surface again soon enough, I'm sure. <laughs> Give it a fortnight. Yeah, <laughs> but but yeah, he's Guardiola seems to have made his mind up. So, uh, hand on heart, where do you see City uh, by the next podcast? So after these two games, are they um, are they closer to Leicester or are they further away from Leicester? I would say closer, but I don't know. It's so. The thing with City is, like I said earlier, they are capable of beating any team in the league if they play well. But how often do you trust them to play well at the moment? Like, how often do you trust that defense to do its job, the midfield to sort of protect the defense? You just—it's just so hard to predict. Even Sheffield United at home is a potential defeat for City at, at this moment in time. So, we'll see. Closer, John. Yeah, I'd say closer, but exactly. What, yeah. yeah. You know, you wouldn't be surprised if if they lost either of those games, drew either of those games, or won them both. Well, let's go on the record and put some predictions in uh, in place, then, shall we? Uh, we've had a bit of a bad run on the charity bet recently. We're still on four hundred and thirty pounds for the Christie, a cancer hospital in Manchester, uh, and that's coming from our ten pound correct score singles from William Hill. Two games this week. Uh, what we having done? Uh, Leicester at home, three two to see. It's eighteen to one, so one hundred and eighty if you're right. Uh, and for Wolves. Uh, one all uh, is fifteen to two, so seventy five pounds if you're right, John. What have you gone for for Leicester? Two one uh, is seven to one and seventy quid. And uh, for Wolves, a three two victory away from home is uh, twenty two to one, so uh, two twenty if you're right on that one. Uh, I've gone for two all in both games. I think uh, I think they'll be very difficult games for City, and I think yeah. you know it could be could be hard on the legs. Uh, fourteen to one against Leicester, so one hundred forty if I'm right. Sixteen to one against Wolves, so one sixty if I'm right there. Uh, you got to be eighteen or over to gamble. Prices can change, and for more on responsible gambling, check out begambleaware.org. <laughs> This weekend's matches sees the last for City before a hectic Christmas period. As the busy spell begins, I've been taking a look back at Pep Guardiola's record at the Etihad during the festive season. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas Everywhere you go It's been six years since Manchester City had a perfect Christmas. Manuel Pellegrini was the manager and his side took maximum points in games against Liverpool, Crystal Palace and Swansea, a run that they would use as a springboard to winning the title five months later. In Guardiola's three Christmases though, City are yet to score maximum points, though they have come close. The manager's first experience of a Boxing Day match came at Hull in 2016, where Yaya Torre stepped up to lead the team to victory. Guardiola enjoyed it. I appreciated that because it's a special day for the after Christmas days, the day after the people go to the stadium to see their teams to play. So it's a, a huge tradition, it's a marvelous tradition. I'm glad to, to for my first time in my life, to be to be part of that. The manager was less upbeat five days later when his team lost one 0 at Anfield. It was not uh, too many clear chances, and uh, that depended on the quality of the people in front. We control. Well, Mane and uh, Lalana and, uh, and Firmino in the second half, we created more and we were there. Uh, but in this kind of games, of course, the, the, the little, little, little details make the difference. Two days later, City beat Burnley 2-1, but Guardiola was very tetchy at full time. Fernandinho was sent off early on and the away side got a contentious goal towards the end when it looked like Claudio Bravo had been fouled. The manager's post-match interview was a little awkward. You know, around the world, the goalkeeper in the five box in the box is fault here, not. I have to understand that. It is a win for City. Fault to Claudio Bravo, his fault. It was his fault. His fault, yeah. In all around the world, here not, but okay, I have to understand that. 
you don't seem that happy that you've won. More than you believe. More than you believe I'm happy. You aren't showing it. I'm so happy, believe me. I'm so happy. Happy New Year. That meant Guardiola took six points from a possible nine in his first Christmas in England. He bettered that the next year by turning the defeat on New Year's Eve into a draw on New Year's Eve. After a tight 1-0 win at Newcastle, City drew 0-0 at Crystal Palace. Edison was the hero of the game, saving a stoppage time penalty. Of course, we tried to never give up, and, and meant, uh, Crystal Palace started in the beginning bad, but uh, the last period was uh, was top, and they played really, really good. And uh, and, uh, and we knew that would would have been. We spoke uh, many times about that, uh, but we were not able, so we will improve for the next game. That brought City's top-flight winning streak to an end, but they were back on the right track two days later with a 3-1 win over Watford at the Etihad. It meant it was Guardiola's first unbeaten Christmas at City. He, though, wasn't happy with how packed the schedule was. I know that here in England the show must go on, and we have to play, but that is not normal, guys. To play 31st and chill less than 48 hours, the big bosses should reflect it. So we're going to kill the players. I don't know how many injuries there are in the, in that period for all the teams. But for the big federations, it doesn't matter, no, because the show must go on. City was still yet to have a perfect Christmas under Guardiola. They'd taken seven points from a possible nine that season, and they were on their way to the title the following May. Last Christmas, it didn't look like they were going to retain that title, though, especially after a Boxing Day defeat to Leicester. That was three losses in four games, and City were falling behind in the table. They deserve it. They win games. We don't win games, so the gap increased. So last season we were so stable and consistent and, and making a lot, a lot of points. And, um, and this season, especially Liverpool and Tottenham, they are, they are so good. A 3-1 win at Southampton was vital for getting some belief back into the squad, especially with the next match being against league leaders Liverpool. City were seven points behind at kick-off. By full-time, the gap had been cut to four. Goals from Sergio Aguero and Leroy Sane did the business, while an extraordinary goal line clearance from John Stones made the headlines. I'm happy it just didn't go over the line, to be honest. And, Great defending. Yeah. Played it off the line, you know, it's you see it all the time where a keeper's shouted and the defender comes and clears it and you know I spotted the opportunity and he was coming back towards his goal as I said and um, tried to take him, put him and the ball but deflected off him and just had to re react quickly. That result would be crucial in City retaining the title, but they still only managed six points from nine over the Christmas period. With only 118 hours between their three matches this season and with tough games against Leicester, Wolves and Sheffield United, the chances of a perfect run seem quite slim. The question now is whether City can do what they've not done for six years and take maximum points over the festive season. Hi, my name is Uwe Ressler, former Manchester City player. You listen to the Blue Moon podcast. This is the Blue Moon podcast. But don't worry, it'll be over soon. A look back at City's festive seasons under Guardiola. Now it's time to finish with Ask the Panel. Get your questions in for next week. Uh, do it on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Uh, you can email us through the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. And we're on Instagram as well. Just search for Blue Moon Podcast on there. Uh, Peter Fry's been in touch on the emails to say, Already Build are again reporting that Leroy Sane wants to move to Bayern Munich. Why does it feel like there's a systematic attempt to unsettle him at City? And what role do Bayern Munich have in all of that situation? When does it become tapping up? <laughs> Which I suppose is an interesting question because the summer was relentless. 
Yeah, I don't, tap it up doesn't really seem to be a thing in football anymore, though, does it? It's just sort of a free-for-all. You can kind of do whatever you want. And this is how Bayern Munich operate. This is what they do. They're the bullies of German football. If they want a player, they'll convince them to sort of run the contract down, um, get them a free transfer. They did it with uh, Robert Lewandowski a few years ago, Mario Goetze, another one, I think, uh, Mats Hummels possibly as well. Um, so this is just how they operate. They just think if they want a player, they'll get them. Um, I mean, you know, the, the talk over the summer was that City wanted about £130 million and they weren't prepared to to pay that and he's well worth that in this market and they're just trying to sort of drive a hard bargain I think they might have got him in the end in the summer had he not been injured had he not got injured I don't think it will happen in January just because he's kind of still not fully fit but I would imagine in the summer he's going to go there to be honest but it feels John like this like I can't put my finger on it but it it feels like something is quite unfair about the way this has happened well like Dan says you know that's what Bayern did do you know they, they they did it when they won the league and the team that were closest next to them in the league uh, Dortmund they took their two best players to make sure they didn't get any closer um, and th- I think the I think the Bundesliga is probably struggling a little bit at the moment in terms of they haven't got really any star names and at the moment you know Robin's gone Ribery's gone uh, I mean Lewandowski is absolutely fantastic. Um, Nabry's kind of not quite a superstar yet. So. He's another one. I used to work, when I did a job <laughs> working for Arsenal TV, I used to log the cameras for their youth team shots, uh, youth team uh, games that the, that, the, that were being shot. Um, Serge Gnabry played for them. And um, I used to say to the cameraman on the drive home every every time, nothing will come of him. Nothing will come of him. So basically, if I don't like a player when they're young, they're probably going to do all right. <laughs> what do you think of Phil Foden? I think he's crap. <laughs> <laughs> But you were saying about uh, about stars in the in the Bundesliga. Yeah, and they need they need a bit of stardust. And Sane is one of you know the best young forwards in the world. I think forget how good he was, um, particularly in the Centurion season. Um, and you, you know he got that goal against Liverpool last season, which turned turned the title around. But you know I I can understand why Leroy's a little bit frustrated. You know he he, he was he's very much on the on the fringes towards the second half of last season he didn't start that many games um and I'm not sure how much Pep really trusts him in in the big games in the big in the big games yeah if they have tapped him up they've told him come to Bayern you'll be our star player you'll be the best player the biggest yeah. player in the Bundesliga for a young german lad that's got to be a big deal and like you say he can't get a game back the back end of last season for city he, there's obviously been a bit of a breakdown in the relationship with guardiola so i can totally understand why he would want to go there well it's going to say in a, in a strange way though he's kept has his silence on the matter just kind of made these stories kind of snowball a little bit more than, than mm. normal? I mean, he, he, you, you don't want to be seen to be lying. So you don't, if, he, if he is interested in a move, you don't want him to come out and say, no, I'm staying here and yeah, then leave because yeah. that ruins his relationship with City fans. But do you know what I mean? There needs to be maybe something said. Yeah, definitely, yeah. And it was interesting the way after his injury he went back to Germany to recuperate for a while. Um you know, there's been instances last season where we've seen Laporte at away games and things like that. I think he was at Anfield and the crowd, wasn't it, and stuff like that, whereas Sane has just disappeared off the face of the earth, basically. And I've noticed the past few weeks his social media, he started putting kind of, I know he doesn't do it himself probably, but someone has started tweeting like, come on, lads, uh, good win today and stuff like that. <laughs> and you're sort of wondering what all that's about, why there's suddenly been a change of that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in terms of, of Sane in City's squad, uh, John, have they missed him this season? Um, I don't know whether he's still thought of as being in the strongest eleven, but he offers an option, and they've not been able to rotate. That's been a big problem. You know, Bernardo's forms dropped drastically. Uh, you know, Mara's is a bit hit and miss. 
and so you know Sonny is a big option. Um, so the, yeah, they've, they've, they've missed him from that point of view. Would he, scored, he scores goals, he gets assists. He's, you know, we all know how good he is. Would they have had him anyway if he'd been fit? Would he have been at City? Yeah. Um, well, they weren't going to sell on the cheap, and Bayern generally try to get people on the cheap. So um, it, I think it would have dragged on a lot longer. What, you know, City don't like to be seen to be taken advantage of. That's why they pull they pulled out of buying players like Sanchez, Fred. They will, they won't be seen to be paying over the odds, and they're not going to sell cheaply anymore. Fair enough. Right, well, that's it for this week on the uh, Blue Moon Podcast. Get your questions in for next week on Twitter, email and Instagram. Uh, special thanks to uh, my guests in the studio, to uh, Jonathan Smith. Thank you. And Dan Burke. Always a pleasure. Give us a rating and a review over on iTunes because it does help other City fans find us. And we'll see you next week. Take care. Was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.